Uh, we will be in the book of Philippians today, chapter 2. We'll be resuming our walk through Philippians, verses 14 to 18. For those of you who care about such things, today is not only the day before the 5th of May, so Cinco de Mayo, if there's anybody in here, happy Cinco de Mayo to you. Um, we stand together? No. Um, it's also another important day today, uh, Star Wars Day, so may the 4th be with you. Um, yeah, I know, sorry. <laughs> For those who find those things interesting, <clears throat> Nick. <laughs> a few things to before we jump into it. I have uh, something. If you'll notice in your bulletin, this is really exciting. This is uh, very exciting, actually. Paul said in Philippians chapter one, "I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy." Why, Paul? Why do you thank God? Why do you make your prayer with joy? And why do you rejoice with us? And he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Last week's sermon, I preached the, the message on working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So both the willing and the doing is all from God, and he gets all the glory. Now, what does that have to do with whatever is in our bulletin? Uh, if you open it up, main uh, page on your right, you'll see our financial record. And I want you guys to be really excited about this and just clap and praise. If you see Annie Armstrong Easter offering, $1,500 was the goal. We received $1,500. Praise God. <laughs> praise God. Those, that's, that just brings joy to my heart. For, the, for those of you who don't know, if you're a visitor here, 100%, you're not like, oh man, here they go, talking about money right off the bat. No, 100% of this money for the Easter offering and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes all 100% to the declaring of the gospel in the nations, both in North America and abroad. 100%, not a penny of it goes here, none of it goes here, we send all of it away. And that just goes that we might partner together with other churches and plant the gospel, declare the gospel, proclaim the word, because that is what we are here for, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you guys partnered together with me and we raised the $1,500 and that was God working in you, both the will and and to do or to give for his good pleasure. Just so you get a scope of how, how significant that is, we have not met our goal for as long as our records can show that we have on the computer. Some of you guys might be able to correct me and find a book and be like, right here. And I believe that has happened, but for at least eight years, we have not met our goal for giving to missions. And this is very significant because this is my heart's desire is that our church would become a, again, a mission, just a disciple-making church, that we are seeing churches planted, and this is one of the ways that will happen. 
I was joking, it is my desire in five to ten years to see not an Annie Armstrong Easter offering, but a Kahului Baptist Church planting fund, and we are ready to meet that goal and plant another church from our church. And man, that's, this is just a stone to get there. So thank you. If you gave, thank you. Thank you for partnering with us. If you didn't, then please consider next year, and we together... We are here to show others the good news of Christ. He has transformed my life and each and every one of your lives who have come to him and is still doing it. So thank you. Thank you very much. That is just awesome news. Uh, another thing, we'll be Philippians here next week. Men, Mother's Day is coming up. Just, just a, You're welcome. Thank me later. Mother's Day is next week. Don't forget, uh, the preaching schedule is in the back. So on that cork forward by the bathrooms, there's a preaching schedule. You can find the passage and the sermon I'm going to be preaching out of. I encourage you, read it before, and you'll find yourself, oh, okay, it might be a little bit easier to follow, and you might find you're getting more out of it. I also post different articles back there from time to time on different things uh, you might find of interest if you're waiting for the restroom or just standing around, whatever it is. Uh, keep an eye out back there. I try and keep it pretty fresh. So back to Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Philippians 1, 27 to 30. This whole block, we jump right in the middle with 14 to 18. Just a brief reminder of where we've been. 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your, above all, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he appeals to them to live this united life amidst turmoil and suffering. And he says the key to this united, powerful life that we, when we stand together, firm and fighting and fearless, when we stand together, it is powerful, a powerful statement for the glory of Christ. And the key to that is humility. Humility, he starts that with chapter 2, which is the opposite of pride. With the command, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't look to your own interests. Look to the interests of others. And in all of this, this is like Jesus. This is the way Jesus is. So we see in 2, 5 to 11, the example of Jesus. And his humility was chiefly seen in his obedience to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. So last week we saw, and I guess you could call this, the radical obedience of Christ. Extreme obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. Painful obedience. Sacrificial obedience. Tiring, trusting Obedience, costly, perseverant, but extremely, extremely joyful obedience. Who did it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. And so Paul turns that note of obedience. And I, I mentioned Rocky last week and how unlike Rocky, Jesus is far better that's Rocky the boxer, not Rocky Komatsu, who was just here, not to be confused. Unlike Rocky, who inspires us to exercise, and we, we see it, but does nothing to empower us. 
and thus we watch the movie, we train for a week, we realize this is not fun at all, and we quit. Jesus, much better, not only inspires us, he empowers us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do. And that humility that we will practice, like Jesus, will likewise be played out in obedience. And we can call that radical, but if we're biblical, biblical Christianity, this is not radical, this is normal. Every day. Every day. So, know this, before I, I jump into this, if you're here and you're visiting, you're not a Christian. Because we're going to flesh out that command in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he's going to show us in 14 to 18 what that looks like. If you're a Christian, not a Christian and you're just here maybe with friend, family member, we welcome you. I invite you. Uh, I hope you ask lots of questions. Those are good. It's good to ask questions. But I want to encourage you right at the outset, there is nothing, nothing Nothing, no amount of work you can ever do will make you in right standing before God. No amount of good works, no amount of good things will ever, ever make God pleased with you outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So no, when, when I say work out, you work out, I'm talking to, to believers and and church members here, work out your, if you're a visitor and not a Christian, what you should be hearing is the first command of Jesus, to repent and believe in the gospel. That's the first command you have to obey, repent and believe. David Platt would go on to say, the gospel that saves us from work, saves us to work. The gospel that saves us from work saves us to work. And so when we work as Christians, our working is a hope-filled, triumphant, victorious working. You're not working for your salvation or to be in right standing with God, but rather because he is working in you, it is flowing out and you cannot help it. The true believer will work. And so we get to our text, and, and we'll see how Paul applies specifically this command to work out our salvation, and we'll flush out some of these things. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, or your Bibles may say disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are 
working in our church, that you moved in the hearts of your people here to give so that others might come to know Jesus. And I pray that here that you would move in, in the hearts of those here that they might come to know Jesus if there are any who are not here that know you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are struggling in their Christian walk and their walk following Christ. I pray that you would empower them, encourage them this morning by your spirit to hold fast to the word of life. Lord, would you encourage them and enable them, and would you get much glory? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We can walk this passage through with these ways. We're going to look at first shining forth, holding fast, pouring out. Be shining forth, holding fast, and pouring out. Notice the commands here and how parallel they are with verses 9 through 11. So if you notice the commands, do nothing without, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless children of God for the day of Christ or at the day of Christ. And now notice verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1. This is his prayer, if you remember. Paul's praying for the church. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to notice the parallels there because God through his word, ordained that he moved to bless us in response to his prayers, to the prayers of Christ in the garden and of his people after him. How, man, I'm struggling with this sin. I just, I'm not finding any joy. But we neglect the disciplines of grace. Pray for this. Lord, empower me today. I need your strength. Would my love abound more and more for my wife or my roommate or my coworkers? And I want you to see that as we pray in response to God's word, that he is now, Paul is commanding that very prayer request to come forth. So while we rely on God, it's that he is working in us, so we pray. Because he is working in us, we command and we work. Work it out. Know the resources are there. And this is going to be exceedingly difficult. Think about how difficult this is. This word, do all things, this Greek word is very fancy. It means all things. I know, it's amazing. I went to school for that. It means all things. Do all all things without grumbling or complaining. Oh, man. Where, where to begin? Monday morning, perhaps. Oh, I, when's Friday? Is it Friday? Wednesday. Okay. I got to get dressed. I got to go. I got to go, go, go. If only my wife would help me more. If only my husband would change a little bit. If only I had a better job. If only I had a nicer house. If only I had a nicer car. If only I had children. If only I had more children. 
If only I had a better retirement. If only my health was better. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or questioning, you could say. This idea of grumbling, we all know what this is. We've seen our children do it. We do it. Somebody says something that displeases us, that we do not like, and, and we, you could call it murmuring. It's that, that under-the-breath type of murmuring, behind-the-scenes type of, type of talk. Another word for it, it often plays out, we call gossip. Can you believe what they are doing? I, I, did you hear? Murmuring and complaining. Disputing is the fruit of grumbling. It is now an open disagreeance when a different idea is expressed. It's a dispute, an argument that arises when different opinions clash. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If we were to read this through in one sitting, as they would actually have done before, if I were to read the whole book of Philippians, he's going to revisit this in chapter 4, when he talks about contentment. And we'll get there when we get to chapter 4. But if you want to read ahead, very instructive. Why does Paul mention grumbling and disputing on the heels of the command to and emphasis to live in unity expressed by humility. Why? Because I would argue that grumbling and disputing or murmuring are manifestations of pride. Well, think about it. They're manifestations or displays of pride, and they almost always precede more blatant acts of disobedience. Think about it. Have you ever disobeyed without murmuring or complaining, whether in your heart or in your mind? No, generally your disobedience to something flows first out of a heart that is upset, discontent. That's not fair. And so it is a manifestation of pride ultimately towards God. Charles Simeon said this, Pride fosters in the soul a murmuring disposition towards God and a contentious disposition towards men. Humility counteracts them both. Humility counteracts them both. Paul goes on and he makes an allusion to Deuteronomy 32 with this phrase in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God. So why are you doing all things without grumbling or questioning? That you may be blameless and innocent. In the midst, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That is actually a, almost a direct quote of Deuteronomy 32. And most of you probably have not read Deuteronomy 32 this morning. I'm, I'm guessing. So it's okay. I got your back. What's going on here? This is awesome. It's actually awesomely terrible. Um, Moses is about to die. He's led his people out of Egypt. If you remember, he's not allowed to go to the promised land. Why? Because God said, speak to the rock. And instead, Moses took his staff and he struck the rock. And so God said, because you did not believe me and regard me as holy, you will not, see the you will not go into the land. 
Joshua will lead the people into the land. So it's almost time for Moses to die. God says, go call Joshua, appear before the tent. So it's kind of a public ordaining, if you will, of Joshua ascending to leadership and Moses stepping down. And Joshua is actually told by God to give the people of Israel this song in Deuteronomy 32. And in that song, he basically rebukes them for their entire disposition in the wilderness. He rebukes him. God issues this rebuke. You grumbled. You've despised the Holy One. I have taken over and oh, It's just, it is not a happy song. And he's telling Moses, when you die, these people are going to whore after other gods. And I'm telling you this beforehand so you know that I have said it. And he does promise to redeem them. But in the midst of this song, it's a terrible song. There is no good ending I'm like, man, imagine if we sang a praise song like that, just rebuking us for everything we've done. And that's exactly where Paul draws from. So why, I asked, why, why Paul, would you quote such a, a very not friendly, not seeker-friendly scripture right here, trying to encourage the church? Why? Well, I think part of it was, if you remember, the grumbling of the Israelites was often directed against who first? Moses, who said that. There was good. Good job. Moses. It was always directed against God's appointed leader first. Oh, that, that, that we would go back to Egypt and have leeks and onions and meat. Or... Number 16, the rebellion of Korah. Is not God in all of the congregation of Israel? Who made you, Moses and Aaron, over us? And God killed them. But their murmuring always started against God's leader. We have some evidence that this church in Philippi actually was having struggles with just that issue with regarding their leaders with honor. In 2.29, he gives them a command to receive Epaphroditus with honor. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Why would they have to be commanded to do this thing that they are already doing? Or, we could go to chapter 1, verse 1. If you remember the very unusual introduction, Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And then a phrase that is almost not in any of the other letters. With the overseers and the deacons. And he'll allude later in chapter 3 again. So we have some evidence together with the Deuteronomy 32 quote that this church in Philippi is struggling with honoring their leaders. And so... The warning, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Because it's very possible that your quarreling could, is against God, not the leaders. And that's exactly what happens. Of course, it has a much broader application as well as with one another in the congregation, in the practice of humility, in obedience with one another, do all things without grumbling and disputing. Peter would command, show hospitality without grumbling. 
Show hospitality without grumbling. And then the result of this, this is so radical, this is so different from the way our own inclinations lean, that when we do this, he says, one, we're being like Jesus, who did not open his mouth when he was reviled, when he was spit against. He didn't murmur. He didn't complain. He trusted himself to God the Father. This is exceedingly difficult, especially when you disagree with what's going on. Or especially when it's painful to you. It's hard to do without grumbling and disputing. But Paul commands us, this is actually a display of humility. And whenever we live this radical obedience for us, what does it result in? You're shining like lights in the world, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the same word he uses for the sun, for the stars, among whom you shine like stars. Now us here with all of our apps that we can point at the sun and see how bright and everything that it is and powerful, that ought to blow your mind. We are shining like lights in here. I almost titled my sermon from grumbling to glowing. But I thought, that's lame. <laughs> who wants to glow? We're not, I'm not trying to turn you guys into teenage vampires who sparkle in the sun. You are the sun. You shine like lights in the world. And this doesn't neglect what Jesus says. I am the light of the world. And he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Let your light shine that men may see your good works and glorify God your Father. You shine. We don't glow. One guy said, as the day grows darker, we, we lament what's going on in, in our government and the decisions that are being made towards marriage and abortion and all these darkness. But, but one pastor says, as the day grows darker, the light shines brighter. Another pastor, when I was a teenager, put it this way. Let me make sure I don't get this wrong. Your talk talks and your walk walk. Walk talks. Let me start over. This is hard. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. That's what Paul's getting here at. You are meant to live your life in such a way that it jives and corresponds with your gospel message and the Holy Spirit, who moves like the wind. Thank you, Elijah. And the Holy Spirit means to use that testimony to give credence and power to your words when you proclaim that gospel and you shine like lights. But how do we do that? We shine forth, we hold fast. This is accomplishing by holding fast to the word of life. Paul would say in Deuteronomy 30, I have no doubt he had this passage in mind as he's writing these things. These, this string of thought, Paul said, or sorry, Moses said this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and get this, and holding fast to him, for he, he is your life and length of days. Or we can jump a couple thousand years into the future, Peter with Jesus. Will you leave also? And Peter's response, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of life. For you alone have the words of life. As we plug into, if you will, into Christ, holding fast to Christ, it produces in you because it can't help a shining like a light in this world. Or you could say as you cling to Christ like a life jacket when you're drowning or you hold on to him as if you're holding on to a rope lest you fall down off a cliff. This is the idea of holding fast to the word of life. You're clinging to it as if you let go, you will perish. There's no hope. That gives you a tangible sense of, of that idea of holding fast. But what we hold fast to isn't so much tangible, but intangible. We hold fast to the promises of Christ. I will return. All who come to me will find rest. I will blot your sins out. Or as we're going to celebrate in the Lord's Supper, I will remember your sins no more. This is the blood of my covenant shed for you. We hold fast to the promises. We hold fast to other promises, if you think about it. What was one of our favorite promises in our culture is payday. We know it's coming. The 15th or the 30th is coming. Payday. That's holding fast to a promise. And we orchestrate our lives around those dates. Because you can bank on those promises. Or your wedding vows. Or your retirement. Or your social security. These are promises, semi-intangible, that we structure our lives around. And when we hold fast to Christ, it is, we can bank on that. You structure your life around that. You are willing to be spent for the glory of God. And brother and sister, some of you maybe are here and you haven't been to church in a very long time. It might be years, months, days. And you might be feeling convicted right about now. I'm not shining. I'm not working. I'm not holding fast to anything. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, I want to encourage you. When we fail to hold fast to Christ, he never, never fails to hold fast to his children. Because ultimately, it is God who is at work in us. So know this, when you are failing to hold fast to Christ, he is never failing to hold fast to you. There's even a hymn, I hope we sing it one day soon. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. We shine forth like lights when we hold fast to Christ. And then pouring out, pouring out, verse 17 and 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. 
likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Here's what I want you to see. There's a whole bunch of offering background here, which I'm not going to go into time to explain to you. But understand this. Paul thought that church, their souls were valuable enough to him to give his life for. Later on in this book, in chapter 4, he's going to refer to the church as my joy and crown. Of what value, then, is a soul? If it's this valuable to man, how much more so to God? The soul of any individual in here is more worth is worth more and more valuable than all the world put together as Jesus said what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul the world is not worth the value of your soul another pastor would say this beloved brother if another person could do and suffer so much for you, as Paul was willing to do for the Philippians. Ought not you to do or suffer great things for the welfare of your own souls? Paul was willing to die for their welfare. Ought you not be willing to do more for the welfare of your own souls? And Paul, not only was he willing to die, but he was willing to do it with joy. I rejoice in this. This is challenging for me as a pastor or any of you in here who hope to aspire to ministry one day. You hope to pastor in any capacity. Know this. Jesus loves people. He loves people. Don't love theology. Don't love knowing things for the sake of being smart. Love people. Be willing to spend and be spent for people and not just for ministers because Paul says, likewise, you also. Brothers and sisters, look around at each other. Be willing to spend and be spent for the glory of Christ for your brothers and sisters that they might have progress and joy in the faith. And this will be radical obedience. This will cost much. It'll hurt much. It will require much time and effort and energy. But you will be able to say with Paul in that day, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's amazing. Paul was willing to be spent and spend his life for their progress and joy in the faith. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you, how, how does the Lord want you to spend and be spent for the glory of God in the congregation and out in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation? You are there and you are meant to shine. Wherever you're at, some of you might go into full-time ministry. I pray that's the you want a church plant, you want to go into missions, but your full-time ministry could be played full-time where you're at right now, and you are meant to shine in your workplace, in your home, as a light pointing to Christ. There are some in here I mentioned earlier you do not believe. 
You've grumbled against God. You grumble your whole life. This isn't fair. It's hard. I'm miserable. I don't deserve this. And I believe that you are miserable and your life likely is hard. I want to point you what Paul says, the day of Christ is coming. The day of Christ is coming. That means Paul will come back. Paul. Jesus will come back. And he will hold all men and women to account for their life. And he will judge. Now, we've already established that you murmur and you complain against the hundreds of graces of God every day. The fact that you're here and your heart is beating, Jesus said, God did that. But yet you murmur, complain. You never thank God for anything he's done. And you live your life as if it is your own. But the day of Christ is coming. It is coming. And you can choose at that point to stand on your own merit and hope, hey, I was a good person. I did the, as much as I could. Maybe that'll get me there. The Bible says it won't. The Bible, God says it won't. So you can hope in that, but God in the Bible says that will amount to nothing and you will stand in judgment because no amount of works will ever save you. But Jesus, because he loves People. He loves you. You are of incomparable value to your creator. You are meant to have a relationship with Jesus. You can come to Jesus. You can turn from your way of life and trust Jesus and cling to Jesus and hold fast to him like a life jacket and say, Jesus, please, I trust you. By faith, and Jesus says, you will find life. You will find life when you come to me. Not death, not suffering, not misery for eternity, but life and joy when you come to me. And I invite you, I'm going to pray over here on my right and your left in a minute. I'm going to invite you to come down and just let me pray with you. Even if you have questions, that's good. Come and ask and let me pray with you. And brothers and sisters, shine forth in a thousand different ways this week. In a thousand different ways. Look around. There's ample ministry opportunity in this room. If only I could show you all that I see, all the people who are hurting in here. There's ample opportunity to minister and do major impact for the kingdom of God in this room. If you take the time to get to know somebody. If you take the time to take them out to lunch, look around and see a visitor who Take them out to lunch. Look around and see a brother or sister that you don't know well. And I, this is my brother and sister in Christ. And take them out to lunch. And you might find your opportunities to expand the kingdom of God are massively increased when you do something simple, with even starting in here. We haven't even gotten to employment yet or home lives or outside the walls of this church ample opportunity. Look and be working to find ways that you can shine forth. And I cannot stress the importance that you hold fast to the word of life. You must, 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 must read your word. 
You must read it because in it, it testifies to us of Jesus. And Jesus is your very life. And if you're not reading it, then you will find yourself totally discouraged when you come here. You will find it totally empty. And I'm going to ask you not just to read it, but to persevere because you will go through dry seasons. And that's where the command, work it out. Work out your salvation. God is faithful. God will bring it to pass. So I ask, look around and see and be willing to see one another with the eyes of Christ. And you might find the renewed energy to spend and be spent for the glory of God and his kingdom. I'll close with this saying, popular and famous, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Brothers and sisters, shine forth and hold fast. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It is powerful and living. I pray that your spirit would move in this congregation, that we would repent of the frivolous activities that have no value and will amount to nothing, and that we would be willing to spend and be spent that others may know Jesus. Lord, if there are any here who do not know you, then I ask that your spirit would unbearably press in on them, that they might repent and come to Jesus and know that he is a good and kind master. He is, you are a good God. Would you show that to them this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.